From CBC Radio, this is Wiretap with Jonathan Goldstein. Today's show, We Are Not Supermen. Uh, some time ago, the writer Jonathan Goldstein probed one of the more difficult aspects of being a superhero, the issue of the secret identity. Uh, Jonathan Goldstein, unfortunately, is a Canadian person in... <laughs> currently in in Canada so we thought it would be much better to get an American celebrity to read the story instead uh, we are joined by the Daily Show's Rob Cordry reading Jonathan Goldstein's piece this is the first thing ladies and gentlemen that Rob Cordry has ever read so thank you I had no idea that Jonathan was Canadian. I would not have agreed to read this story. It's my family. I Am Not Superman by Jonathan Goldstein. She missed normal men. Lois wanted someone normal. I'm not going to say I won over a class act like Lois Lane through anything other than the fact that I was a normal mortal. She had had her fill of the night rides over Metropolis on Superman's back. She had done the demystifying, I'm letting you get to know the real me trips to the Fortress of Solitude. He had even taken her to Niagara Falls to see the statues made of wax that honored him there. And because she insisted, they took the train. It drove him crazy. He would turn to her and say, do you have any idea how ridiculous this is for me? And then he would laugh. He would laugh because he loved her. And despite all of this, she had decided to leave him. I first met Lois at a charity, Penny Arcade event. At one point in the evening, as I stood hunched over a pinball machine, I looked over to my side, and there was Lois Lane just standing there watching me. The left flipper wasn't working, so I tried to keep the ball on the right, but when it came down the left, together we would yell like a couple of kids rolling down the side of a mountain. I've always wanted to reach in there and hold the silver ball in my hand, I said. I never thought of it that way, said Lois. And five minutes later, she was ripping open an empty pack of Clorettes and writing her number down on the white inside. Lois was the kind of woman I had always dreamed of. Even her name, so cool and so crisp, Lois Lane. It pierced my ear like an arrow. Lois was the kind of woman who made you feel like, I am a man who dates Lois Lane. <laughs> and as simple as all that sounds, it's the best way I can describe it. When I was a child, she was the girl who brought Oreos for lunch. And during recess held me cruelly aloft on the high end of the seesaw as I squirmed and begged. In high school, she was the teeny bopper who wanted nothing to do with me, who saw me as nothing more than a bad aftertaste, like the kind you get when you almost vomit and can taste the vomit, but you don't actually vomit. That's what I was to her. In college, Lois was the bored coquette who, in a show of university-learned largesse, languidly offered me her leg in the cafeteria and said, feel how strong my calf muscles are. She was all of these, but then, the moment Lois handed me her phone number, she became something else entirely. She became a woman who had chosen me. At first it was a novelty. In the beginning, Lois would kiss my forehead and tell me she loved how squishy my arms were. In a good way, she'd say. They're so easy to fall asleep on. 
I wasn't embarrassed by my softness. In fact, all the things my old girlfriends found unattractive and gross about me, Lois found charming. Once I even gave my nipples eyelashes and smeared lipstick around my belly button. Lois swooned as I made my fat gut sing her sweet songs of love. I liked making Lois laugh. I even purchased a jar of olives simply because one of them, pressed up against the glass, looked like an old man with a little stroke mouth full of pimento. I gave him a voice. I made him say things like, get me out of here, and my ass is asleep. Lois appeared to find this delightful. Although they were broken up, Lois and Superman decided to remain friends, and since they traveled in the same circles, I knew it was only a matter of time before Superman and I would meet. And I knew that when we did, by any possible system of measurement, he would destroy me. <laughs> but in what way, I wondered. I mean, what could he do to me? Squeeze my hand really hard when we said hello? He could outfight me, outthink me, outrun me, outfly me. He could even reverse time, for Christ's sake. If he decided to beat the living crap out of me, I would be perfectly at peace. There's not a, a person in the world who would stick it to me for that. Lois told me that I should expect a call from Superman one of these days because he was really anxious to meet me. And several weeks into our relationship, I got the call. When I answered the phone, I felt my chest tighten. I'd like to keep Lois in my life, he said. And I guess that means we should get to know each other. I don't want to make this into a big deal or anything, but Lois tells me you're sort of between jobs right now. And I could use a sidekick. I'm trying to change my image a little. I don't want to come off as such a lone wolf anymore. It could be a part-time thing. I could teach you a thing or two. Look, don't get me wrong. I said, you, you do great things, wonderful things. And, and uh, what do I do? I mean, if I make it to the post office to buy stamps before noon, it's a miracle. Silence, he said, cutting me off. But he didn't say it in the way you'd think. All capital letters. He said it quietly, sadly almost. Silence. Just think about it. When I saw Lois that night for dinner, she had already spoken to Superman, and she was going on about my sidekick ship like it was already a done deal. It's just what you need to get back into the workforce, she said. And she looked so pleased that before I knew it, I was drinking glass after glass of red wine, promising her that it was really no big thing. Lois was just so beautiful when she's pleased. And the next morning, I met Superman for lunch, and before I could sit down in the booth, he handled me a rumpled paper bag. What's this? I asked. Your new outfit, he said. He shooed me off to the bathroom, and in the toilet stall, I changed into what was essentially a skin-tight black unitard. There was no cape. The whole thing succeeded in making me look skinny-legged and rotund. Across the chest, in small, new courier font, was the word, Stuart. <clears throat> I pointed to the name as I walked back to the table. It's your sidekick name, Superman said. And you're not supposed to wear your, your uniform with underwear. <laughs> I spent most of my time wearing my Stuart outfit in his apartment. Ironing his costume, fielding calls from the press, popping boils on his back with a nail and an almanac. And in between, Superman had me doing non-stop sit-ups. He called my gut a crime against humanity. His favorite joke was to put his hand on my stomach and ask, How many months? <laughs> 
But he wasn't perfect either. From up close, Superman stank of Brill Cream, and he had this way of getting when he was being all solemn, where he would use words like shall and vex. And he's really full of himself. At one point, he even told me that I should use the word super sparingly. He said its use was only appropriate when describing works of God or to describe his own feats and properties. But through all of this talk, I would try to maintain eye contact with him. And as I did, I would think to myself, I have seen Lois in her underwear. And tonight when I go home, I might see her in her underwear some more. I wouldn't put it past the bastard to read minds. As horrible as it all got, in the evening there was Lois, and she seemed so proud of me. But still, Superman was always an unspoken presence between us. I always knew he was out there, feeling better than me. And when I looked at Lois sometimes, I knew she knew I was thinking it, and I guess it sort of made her want to think it a little herself. It all came to a head one Thursday night. There was this Thursday night tradition where all the superheroes got together to go for beer and chicken wings. And on this particular Thursday night, Lois was going to join us. The superheroes would sit together at one table, capes all undone, laughing and slapping each other on the back, while the sidekicks sat over at another table, commiserating and trash-talking. I looked around my table. There was an angry-looking hunchback the Green Lantern worked with. Wonder Woman had brought along a sad-eyed, mousy, college-aged girl who sat sketching on a napkin all night long. The Flash had taken on this grizzled old sack of bones who smelled of cabbage and urine that he called Benjamin. Superman told me that Benjamin was the Flash's father, who the mother had recently thrown out. The Flash was afraid that if he was left alone, he would commit suicide. So he put him in a leotard, took him around with him, mostly leaving him in the car. And then, of course, there was Batman's sidekick, Robin. Robin told me that the caped crusader was such a control freak that he continued to bathe him well into his late teens. I can scrub my own ass, Robin would yell. But Batman was so strong. When he put his hand on Robin's shoulder, Robin wasn't going no place. I looked over at them, Superman and Batman, the best of buddies, and I imagined what their conversation was on the night they learned of me and Lois. And it was as I sat there imagining the two of them laughing at me, their massive upper torsos jerking in a manner that is impossibly manly, that I saw Lois walk through the door. Superman caught her eye, and she made a beeline right over to him. Instinctively, I rose from my seat. Superman turned to me, our eyes locked. Much has been written about Superman, but there's an aspect to him that is very difficult to describe. There's a certain feeling one gets when looking into his eyes, and of all the articles I have read, there is nothing that touches on it. It's inhuman and hypnotic. It's not just that. Being looked at by Superman makes you feel more there than anything, even a dozen TV cameras. And it's not simply that you're there, but that you're there swaddled in layers of reassuringly moistened towelettes. It's comfy and cozy, and I cannot explain it well enough. As she kissed Superman's cheek hello, 
I turned around and walked out of the bar. And because I was in my Stuart outfit, I didn't even have pockets to dig my fists into. Sometime after one in the morning, Lois showed up at my place full of apologies. She'd gone over to sit with me, but I'd already left. Uh, she spent the whole night talking with Superman. She said that he's been really depressed. I've just never seen him like this. I'm actually a bit worried, she said. He's obsessed with the emptiness of the universe. He said that after we broke up, he went looking for God. Literally, looking for God. <laughs> Zipping across the universe, and he came up with nothing. Uh, I wasn't in the mood for a big Superman's man of constant sorrow routine, but she was clearly on a roll and I didn't have the heart to stop her. I never realized how obsessive he can be. He told me there was once a certain way I flipped my hair that so beguiled him. He spun around the earth reversing the moment 75,000 times. I never knew that. <laughs> I felt myself almost throw up. He's just so intense, she continued. And this planet can be so cold. Did you know that in Krypton, when two people fell in love, they became inseparable? And they even had special clothes they wore together? And they learned to move together in unison? And he said that on Earth, these kind of garments had names like fundies and were only sold in the pages of pornographic magazines. He said the Earth was a sick, sick place. My fear wasn't that Lois would get back together with Superman, because by this point I knew it was only a matter of time before she would, but that she would describe the summer we spent together as the most miserable, depressing, and disgusting time of her life. I already knew how it would infuriate him. I could hear him making his stupid jock jokes with her. You don't need supervision to see through that sap, he would say. Ha 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 ha! After she left, I decided to take a walk and clear my head. I did so while cursing Superman until there were tears in my eyes. I'd only walked a couple of blocks when I ran into Clark Kent. I'd been introduced to Clark at a couple of Lois's soirees, and although I hardly knew him, he was someone I really liked. He possessed what I felt, from my citified point of view, was genuine small-town warmth, and I just enjoyed being around it. He told me I looked terribly sad. Terribly sad. People don't say stuff like that anymore. Having him call me terribly sad instead of depressed or bummed made me already start to feel a little bit better. He asked me if I wanted to grab a beer, and I said, sure. I told Clark all about the evening, and he listened to me. That was all I really needed just then, to be listened to. How do you know she'll go running back to Superman, asked Clark. Oh, you should hear our conversations. Do you have any idea how much Superman can bench press? Superman went back in time and beat up Hitler. I mean, who can compete with that? Clark started laughing so hard, people at the other tables turned around to look at us. I was on a roll. With his laughter egging me on, I told him all the things that over the last few weeks I wished I had said to Superman. You're such a phony, I said. You have this idea of what it means to be human, but it's a parody, man. Humans feel pain. You understand what pain is. You may be super, but you're certainly not a man. Clark thought that was just perfect. He put his arm around my neck and rocked me back and forth as we both laughed. Thank you. Rob Corddry, ladies and gentlemen. And the written work of the Canadian Jonathan Goldstein.
guy turns to me and he says, douchey bot. And I think I, I, my first reaction is like, are you calling me a douchebag? And he's mm -hmm. he's speaking Italian to me. He's saying, you are crazy to say pots. Mm -hmm. But he's saying, douchey bots. And he keeps saying it like, hey, douchey bots, douchey bots. So uh, mm -hmm. you're not laughing. I thought it was really funny when it happened. Oh, uh, I'm sorry. I'm, I'm just completely preoccupied with this stupid situation where... Um, you're not with me, are you? No, I'm sorry. What's the matter? We just bought a new couch. And All right, have a seat on my lap. Tell me what the problem is. I'll help you. You got a couch, and what's the matter? It's not comfortable? No, the couch is... Your ass doesn't fit the ass groove on the couch? What's your problem with the couch? No, the couch is completely fine. The problem is that um, I promised this guy that I work with um, the ottoman from my old living room set. Why do you even have an ottoman in the first place? It's, it's classier than putting your feet up on the coffee table. I wouldn't know. First of all, hearing you say a living room set makes me think that you won something on a game show, and why you would have an ottoman seems like something... You know what uh, I mean, like a couch, a uh, coffee table, armchair... Yeah, sectional furniture done in leather, something like that. <laughs> all right, go on. I don't mean to mock you. All right, anyway. So the point being that I thought it was nice of me to offer this guy my ottoman, and now it's just turned into this ridiculous thing where, like, he, he somehow expects me to bring it to his house, and he's never home when I call. So it's like, I, you know, it's like I'm at his beck and... I'm doing him a favor, and yet I'm at on uh, you know I'm at his beck and call for like when uh -huh. is an appropriate time for him to receive my gift, uh -huh. essentially. You know, so it's uh -huh. it's just driving me crazy. Uh -huh. You know what your problem is? What what? Yeah, what's my problem? It's not an ottoman. Mm -hmm. Let's just begin there. Mm -hmm. Do you speak Spanish? Do you know what gondolas are? No, I don't. They're kind of peas. You might want to grow some peas. Do you understand what I'm getting at? I shouldn't have gotten into this whole thing with you anyway. Well, okay, you shouldn't have gotten into me. Why don't you just take your ottoman and put it in your purse, and then you can walk it over to your friend's house. You see, I, I, I feel like that, that, that's not very supportive. Why don't you get a more supportive girdle and bra then? And you know what? I'm your friend. Mm -hmm. I'm going to teach you a lesson right now. Mm -hmm. what, what's this coworker's name? Uh, Tim. Tim? His name is Tim. Okay. Yeah. I'll play you, and you can be Tim, all right? Okay. Are you ready? Sure. Okay. Okay. Hi, my name's Jonathan. See, you know what? That's Want a, my ottoman? That's hurtful. I'll bring it to your house. I, first of all, I don't talk like that. I'm in character. Do you want my help or not? Okay, all right, fine. But do you have to... I was only speaking in the tone of voice, which was mincing for emphasis, to drive home the point that if you want to stand up for yourself, you've got to learn to be a man in the very conventional sense established by John Wayne. John Wayne, huh? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Because that's pretty manly. Yeah. All right, so you're me. Okay. All right. Hey, I've got an ottoman. I'd like to have your ottoman. Okay. So why don't you give me some money, then you come to my house and you get the ottoman, you take it away, then you thank me. I, I would like your ottoman, but you see, unfortunately, I'm sort of low on cash. That's not my problem. No, but you see, uh, Gregor, the thing is that, I, you know, I'm not, I'm not, a, uh, I'm fine with the idea of giving him the ottoman. All right, first of all, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to have to point out that you're breaking character here. Because you're not you, you're him. Right. So why don't you try and stay in character for this exercise, okay? Okay. So you say to me, uh -huh. I don't have any money, wah, wah, wah. I say to you, goodbye, what do you say? Uh, I say, uh, now, goodbye. um... So that's the end of our conversation? That wasn't, that wasn't a lot of role-playing. Your solution is, oh, you don't have the money? Oh, that's no problem. Oh, you can't get it? Oh, let me borrow my mother's station wagon. Like, you need a sofa, too? Why don't I bring my fridge over? I can just keep my stuff in a cooler with some ice boxes. I mean, come on. How accommodating are you going to be? Okay. Okay, so lesson, lesson one did not work, right? I guess not. Let's try lesson two. We'll try it again.
All right. So, um, hey, uh, John. Hey, Tim, stop breaking my b Do you want this out of the couch or not? Well, you got to come out of the gates with something strong, you know what I mean? Well, okay, okay all right. Um, hey, uh, Jonathan, um, problem is that... I hear a lot of talk. Offer goes off the table in five, four, three, two. Well, I thought... Bye, Tim. I... Bye. You understand what I'm saying? Yeah, but, you know, if I if I do... I mean, i got to work with this guy, number one. And number two, I really... I want to... Okay, take it from the top. Mm -hmm. Around 650... We're just going to go through this one more time. All what right. You should have said. All okay. right. Now pay attention. Uh, yeah. Hello. I have an ottoman. Okay. Um, okay. I can't come and pick up the ottoman because my girlfriend of five years just left me last week and she took off with my car. Your girlfriend left you. Yeah. This guy's girlfriend left him. Yeah. Okay. All right. Let's keep going. All right, I, I, I'm sorry your girlfriend left you. What was the problem last week when I said I could take it to your house any day between Wednesday and Friday? What was going on at the end of the week that I couldn't deliver it to you the first time I offered to? Well, it's like I told you. You know, my, my dog died, and I, I had to take him out. It was a very sad day. I had to take him out and, and bury him. Your dog died? That's right. You, you told me this last week? That's what I told you. That's why I couldn't have you come over and pick I knew it up. that your dog died. And okay. Okay. So your dog died last week and your girlfriend left you this week. That's that that happened to you. Yeah, and 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 I should also say Jonathan, I'm I'm really sorry for, you know, putting you through all this. It's just my mom is pretty old and my dad just you know died this year and so she, my mom's moved in with me and she needs to keep her foot elevated because of her gout so i you know i'm kind of desperate for an ottoman and okay can I, you just stop this for a second yeah oh well, are you breaking character forget about is this you talking or is this still me am i still talking to me forget about character for for one second uh-huh okay I, I have two questions for you mm-hmm yeah is this stuff that you're playing to me in the role of Tim? This yeah. is true. This yeah, is the, no, this is you? yeah. This is what he told me. Yeah. So, are you telling me that his mother's got the gout? Yeah, this is all true. I mean, the guy would like miss like a couple weeks' work, like when he was you know dealing with his mom. He's and... got a dead dog on his hands. Yeah, he used to bring that. Yeah, he um... and his girlfriend left him. Yeah, but but you know, but but yeah, I mean, but what? But but you're insane. Well, what are you? You're torturing this guy about a footstool when he's living a country music song. He's got his girl left him and his dog is dead and his mother's got the gout. Well, th this is what I'm. This Why don't you make his mother with the hobbled gout foot hobble over and carry it back on her on her haunches? What's the matter with you? But what what about you know what about getting tough? You you need to start at square one with lessons on how to be a human being. Because you see, this is what I'm not a question of sensitivity versus being aggressive. Well, no, this is why. You know what? You called me looking for my advice. No, I wasn't. You, you you volunteered your advice. I told you okay, I wasn't. Okay, I volunteered my advice. Big deal. The point is, this is new advice in light of new evidence. I overturned my verdict. You should call up this guy, Tim. Tell him you're sorry you're such an idiot, and you're going to buy him a whole new ottoman, and you're going to deliver it to his house at his convenience. No, I mean, this and is... And when you get there, you should get down on your hands and knees and lick his feet for about a half an hour. I mean, come on. This is what I was telling you. You managed to leave out the important detail I... that his life crumbled in an earthquake. I... Every possible one thing I... that happened to him.
Private Goldberg reporting, sir. Yes, Private. What is it? Well, Major, it's like this. I heard you needed a person for a mission impossible, and here I am. Oh, good boy, Goldberg. This is a dangerous and top-secret assignment. Now, first, you'll take a jet. You'll fly at 30,000 feet, and then you'll parachute out over enemy territory. I'll take a jet, and I'll fly it at 30,000 feet, and I'll parachute out. Major, don't worry about a thing. It wouldn't happen. I'm afraid of heights. Hmm, well, I suppose we can get you there by boat. Now, when you get to the enemy campsite, you'll take the 100 pounds of high-explosive TNT, you'll tie it on your back, then you'll tie yourself to one of the main beams under the bridge, and when the enemy tanks are crossing, you'll blow up the bridge. Aha! Now, that's a plan. Tie the 100 pounds of TNT on my back, then I'll tie myself to the bridge, and when the tanks come, boom! Don't you worry, Major. And I'm not going to worry either, because I'm not going to do it. From the boom alone, I get such a migraine. Private, Private, I, I just don't understand you. You're afraid to fly. You're terrified of high explosives. Why did you come in here in response to my request for a volunteer? Major, I came to tell you that on me you shouldn't depend. One new message. Hey, Jonathan, I was thinking some more about our conversation about my advice to you about how to be a man, and I was thinking to myself, you should say things like this. Oh, my chainsaw's been acting up. I gotta jump in my monster truck, go down to the chainsaw store, and afterwards we're gonna watch pornography. Don't think about operettas by Gilbert and Sullivan. You gotta start thinking about stuff like um, shotguns and chainsaws and tractors, and think about manly stuff. And, um,. You might want to work on your voice, you know, say things like, I'm Jonathan Goldstein. Who the hell are you? A little bit of, like a hint of menace behind your voice when you say your name. Anyway, man, I'm just trying to help you. It's a joke that just begun. Voices you heard in part one of Wiretap were Gregor Ehrlich and Rob Cordry reading Jonathan Goldstein's short story, I Am Not Superman. 
You also heard Private Goldberg volunteer from the album The Yiddish Are Coming, The Yiddish Are Coming.